And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. All right, folks. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Uh, we've Yo. got episode number uh, 30 today. Uh, we got our good uh, buddy Ryan Hay, um, and we're going to talk about his near-death experience and his new album coming out soon. Hello. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me. Um, why don't you start by, uh, we'll get to all your music stuff in a little bit, but why don't you start by talking about the what happened when you were in the accident and uh, how it affected you and you know how you've evolved since then? Sure. Um, so I guess it's maybe best to start a few years before the accident. I pretty much stopped playing music. Um, I was in a band and then I left that band to go to grad school. I was in Colorado with my wife for a few years and we were both doing really well, uh, professionally and kind of trying to become adults, you know, like have, have real jobs and real adult pursuits. But after a few years, it just it wasn't really feeling right. It didn't seem like we'd been going down the right path, even though we were doing well. And so we decided to move back to Michigan to be closer to family, to be near the water again, and mostly to try and reconnect with what we'd kind of left behind, which was music for me and art for Angelica. She's from Michigan? Yeah, she's from St. Joseph. Uh, right on. Yeah. Another side of the state there, okay. Yep. And so on our way back to Michigan, we got a phone call from a, a person who worked in Lansing and had met Angelica at some kind of conference or something. And anyways, without applying for this job, Angelica received an offer uh, to become a, a, basically a sales manager for a pretty large science company. And it was like a lot more money than either one of us had ever made combined. And we debated like, you know, yeah, like it just seems like such a good opportunity. It seems foolish to pass something like that up even though we were in a way trying to leave that behind and we ultimately decided that she should take the job we'd save up money for a few years and then we'd pursue the art and the music and she took the job and about a week later she was on her first business trip in san francisco and i was on my way to my first day of class teaching at Olivet. Okay. And I was coming home from that and traffic had backed up on I-69 about 10 miles outside of Lansing. And it was, you know, normal, pretty beautiful, sunny August day. And for whatever reason, the truck driver, semi-truck driver, didn't stop at all. And he was going 70 when he hit the couple behind me and then hit me and a few other people. And so did he push them into you? Like, yeah, basically <clears throat> what, uh, he, he pretty much went through them. That's fucking crazy. How did they, were they made it out alive or what happened? No. To those two people? Uh, that's no. a, that's maybe one of the saddest parts of it is, Jesus. The guy behind me and his wife were on their way to actually say goodbye to his dad. Uh, his dad was on his deathbed, and they'd receive a call that it was time to come say goodbye. Man, that's fucking crazy. <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was. That's pretty heavy. And then, yeah, so he, I, can, I can feel it. You know, yeah. um, what? Uh, in terms of like that having obviously an impact when you when after that happened, like right away, did you, were you conscious? Were you unconscious? Did you, you know, like what was the process? Was there any sort of like slowdown or speed up of time or what was the, what was going on? Time was really strange. I, 
didn't see the truck coming. So I was actually looking at my radio about to change the dial and all of a sudden I was spinning and I was in and out of consciousness. Uh, so there's like basically photographs that I remember like very short clips scenes. Uh, I remember spinning and just being really confused and then looking down at my hand and my finger, my pinky finger was pretty much totally ripped off. There's a lot of blood and I was basically deciding what to do. Uh, trying to figure out if I should call my dad or call the cops. And I heard people talking outside my window. Um, and one of them said that nobody should move me because I may have spinal injuries. Right. And then another woman said, but his car's on fire. And then they opened my door. And at that point I was, you know, I I just said, get me out of here. And she pulled me out. She was a, a national guard, guard woman who just happened to be several cars ahead of me. And yeah, so she pulled me out. Uh, my car was totally engulfed in flames, uh, shortly after. And the national guard people who were, who were ahead of us just started kind of doing what they were trained to do and applying medic, uh, attention to everybody who was hurt. Damn. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, you said uh, you, you remember spinning. Did you flip upside down? or No, I didn't. Um, I just spun I don't know how many times. Uh, one of my main injuries was actually from the seatbelt. My, my airbag didn't deploy. Because uh, you were hit from behind. Yeah, it was hit from behind, but also pushed into the car in front of me. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, my seatbelt ripped open my abdomen and cut cut through a lot of my intestines um, and some arteries. And I had, yeah, some pretty pretty massive life-threatening injuries that actually nobody was really totally aware of for a while. Uh, So by the time I went into surgery... My surgeons weren't confident I was going to make it, and they said that if I did, I'd likely have like a colostomy bag or be missing some parts. I still hadn't talked to Angelica. She was in San Francisco uh, in a meeting. So, so yeah, we came out of that. Uh, I came out clearly alive and whole, right. and. My surgeons, it was like everything kind of aligned for me that day, even though it was right. tragic. Chaos. It was like, yeah, it was chaos, but at the same time, everything went as perfectly as possible as it could have for me. You know, the, the interesting thing about, about that hit me about when you were describing, obviously, the, the terror and the tragedy that was happening in the accident, but also, you know, we like to, you know, right now, everything, society's kind of, torn apart and people are assholes and all this and that. But, you know, you get people like that national guards, that person probably saved your life. Um, So as much as people want to shit on humanity, I think there are specific instances happening every day where humans are called to action by something greater than just the daily grind, you know? Yeah, totally. Do you stay in touch with her or was it a girl? Uh, Yeah, she's a woman. She's a mother. Um, we stayed in touch for a little while, but I think ultimately it just got too hard um, for, for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons that I think is often overlooked is that in a situation like this, the medical part may be done for a lot of people um, soon, but it sometimes like there's some people in, involved who have brain damage and are never going to recover. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just, everybody is kind of dealing with that in very different ways. And it's hard to sync up and be yeah. kind of in the same spot at the same time. Well, how many people were involved with this whole 
multi-car wreck. Seven. Holy shit. And what, what was the was the truck a, a corporation? What, what kind, was it a, uh, it's a Canadian, it's a Canadian trucking company? Uh, we don't know much about the guy who was driving. Uh, did he pass away too? The semi driver? He, he did, uh, but un, unrelated, he passed away of leukemia uh, oh about a year later while we were kind of still trying to figure out what had happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you see those stories all the time with these truckers, man. They push themselves so fucking hard, and that's how they make their money is getting as many shipments done as they can. And it's just. Yeah. Uh... Now, did you, you know, we were talking about time kind of, you know, almost like you were going through something so sort of like fractal um, here, and almost like a strobe light is kind of the way you portrayed it of like memory. Um, do you think that. Um, could you feel the weight of what happened in the moment or like, what was, were you just worried about yourself? Were you kind of trying to determine whether you were okay or not? Like what was going through your mind in terms of that stuff? <laughs> you know, honestly, uh, it's kind of funny considering the severity of what was going on, but I was almost exclusively concerned about my pinky finger. Uh, and I just kept telling you, yeah, I ivories, baby. <laughs> That's what I just kept telling people. I'm like, I play piano. I play piano. <laughs> and they're like, it's okay, man. You, you Save know, the finger. Don't, like, don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, so well, I was I mean, most... Yeah. I didn't know... Passion comes out, you know? Yeah, I didn't I didn't know quite what, what was at stake or the severity of what was going on until I was actually in the hospital. And it wasn't until I saw the expressions of the doctors and of my family that it kind of hit me. Gotcha. Yeah. Did you have any sort of residual after like a fear of being in a car or oh, I know yeah. there's a lot of, I mean, I know, you know, we'll talk about that another time, but Kevin, they were in an accident. There was some residual there. Um, what, were you, you know, obviously there's the car thing, but was it just, was there any sort of depression aligned with that? Or like, what was your mindset after it happened? Yeah. I mean, I've suffered from PTSD since then and it's gotten better over time, but it was, I mean, crippling at first, but I mean, I shouldn't say at first, it was really strange. There was probably a three, three to four week period after the accident where, I don't know, like I was so grateful to be alive mm-hmm. that it was almost like a Zen state. And especially the day that I got home, I don't know that I've ever been happy in that way. Uh, like totally bliss. But do you think it ch- do you think it changed your perspective on life though? Like do you think oh, yeah. that yeah. yeah, it totally renewed my appreciation for life, uh, it refreshed and kind of reframed my outlook. Uh, what I value changed dramatically. But there, with all of those positive things were kind of the, the repercussions or the counterweights, uh, one of which was, yeah, just fear of cars, fear of being on the highway, very intense anxiety whenever we would slow down on the highway. But I guess more than that, uh, I didn't see the truck coming. Right. So, and it was such a nice day. There's no expectation. It's like a movie where the, they're stopped at a stop sign or something, and then all of a sudden, you you know, the character is getting, you know, harpooned from the side or whatever. It's almost like a movie, what you're kind of describing. So you didn't know it was coming. You're like staring out in the beautiful day, enjoying life, you know, driving home from work. And then all of a sudden, boom, your whole life has changed in an instant. Totally. And, and yeah, so it was that alone maybe had the most mental repercussion because now it's hard to not believe that at any moment another terrible thing could happen. Like... Without and it could. reason. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it could. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think if you got into another little accident and nothing came of it, that that would 
be a positive? I know that's a bad thing, but do you think that that would help you mentally? Like if you got in just like a little bump fender type thing, you know, and then you're like, oh, okay, this is part of reality too. It's not all doom and gloom, you know? I don't know. I mean, that might just trigger a different kind of like. Yeah. I got you. I was just curious. Because I, I think, right. <laughs> the bottom well, line I, is humans are traveling in these fucking two ton metal objects. We're just not supposed to be doing that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's commonplace and everybody drives a car and, you know, it's just your daily routine. You don't really think about stuff like this happening. But again, with these trucks, man, it's kind of like the stuff that happened to uh, Tracy Morgan and his little crew there. Yeah, it was a similar time too. I think it wasn't our accidents weren't far apart. Um, yeah, it's and it, no matter how fucking uh, aware you are on the road, you know, doing everything the right way and following all the road the road laws, you know, you just you just, you can't control other people. That's that's a problem that I see, especially on ninety four. You can drive perfect, but you got to be aware of everybody else. So I'm constantly looking around, and you're 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 ducking, you're diving, you're swerving out of the way of some of these fucking people. It's crazy. Yeah. I've heard that some new cars have the ability to brake when they sense slowing yeah, or vehicles. And yeah. In that, that's pretty exciting because, I mean, in my case specifically, that would have saved some lives and a lot of, a lot of pain. So if the truck could have just sensed that there was something yeah. in front of it. I mean, they're working on all sorts of stuff. They were working on those automatically driven cars, but one of them killed somebody and they'd only done it like 10 times. <laughs> I was going to so say... Like safe until time. they drive you into yeah. a fucking net Netscape or whatever. Um, so like that—that's got to be something they work on over time because I don't think that that's uh, that's viable at the, at this point. I think the sensor thing's better. Um, yeah. The only problem I see with that is I've had to make some moves in the past driving where if I would have stopped, it would have been worse. Had I had just swerved or you know like driving home one night, it was three o'clock in the morning, driving back to Michigan, and a deer just walked out, stood in front. And I had to make an epic decision, and this thing started to walk a little bit. So I decided I was going to swerve around it the opposite way and hope that it didn't hit. You know, my it's kind of different than what you're saying because everything slowed down. It was almost like once I got to the deer, everything was in slow motion because it was so close. Um, and then I swerved back, um, and, I, and my heart was like fucking racing like a racehorse. So. Um, you tapped into the matrix, man. No, I just, I think some, that's why I was asking you about that. I think yours was a little too severe for that to occur. But I think, and have you ever had that situation where like you almost fall down like stairs or something like that and you hit yourself and you're like, oh fuck, you know, like everything just slowed down for a second, you know? Yeah. Um, that's well, why I can, I, think- I can attest to Ryan's thing. Cause it's the same shit that happened to me. Like I remember kind of going veering off the road and then it was over, you know, you remember flashes of it and, it's hard to put your finger on actually what really happened. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, well, I mean, good, good, good things, you know, um, come out of bad things sometimes. So let's get into that, how you were able to use this to kind of fuel you into your new eon of, of life, if you will, your new chapter with the music. I mean, cause we look, we had the marm. That's how, you know, we grew up. You lived across I was looking the for the shirt, man. I was. I got an old picture I'm going to use as the thumbnail for this episode with it nice. at, at Ryan's farm playing a, that farm show. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, Kevin's got his Conan was... the Barbarian hat, that old school motherfucker. <laughs> uh, but, uh, 90 degrees, then I got a fucking Tam O'Shanter. Yeah, it's just a little background how we know you, you know, we grew up, uh, you know, with you. You lived across the street from me and we went to school and everything. And, and you moved schools a couple times, but we were in a band together, the Marm. And uh, I mean, we were probably one of the better young bands. I don't really know too many other bands that were around when we were doing that, but. Uh, oh, we were the best, baby. Yeah. <laughs> We were, we, packing, were that, we were packing, yeah, we were packing BMW, BMW <laughs> oh, yeah, that was actually a, a fun if you think back like the shit that we were doing i don't see kids doing that kind of shit nowadays you know no i haven't heard of anything like that around here a lot of house um, shows though 
Yeah. Okay. So let's get into that. So why don't you talk about the genesis of the transition from going through everything you went to through into now kind of what you're doing and how you got there. Yeah. So after the accident, basically year one was focusing on my physical recovery. Year two, I started to try and go back to work and was it basically attempting to be who I was before because I I was pretty happy with who I was before. I mean, I was going to be going on to a PhD. I had found that I really enjoyed teaching um, and things were were really well. And I I thought, what did you teach? I taught English, uh, college English and rhetoric courses. And I, I, yeah, basically I failed, uh, to, to pick up where I left off. It was too difficult, uh, to have, <clears throat> to have the space for anybody else. Uh, it was hard to, it was hard, kind of hard to just care about teaching, which I recognize is like maybe not the best trade in a teacher. Yeah. Um, and give me lessons. I used to give guitar lessons. I'm like, I can't fucking do this, dude. Like, I love playing guitar and I love learning guitar, but I'm not a good, you know, teacher. It's like a patience right. thing, you know. And I have good patience, but it's like a certain type of patience, you know. Yeah, and I've lost a lot of my patience after the accident. Um, and so basically, the, those two years set me up for a really difficult third year, which was when I kind of realized that I didn't have an identity anymore. I kind of lost who I was. I didn't know what to tell people. Like I I had such a difficult time answering the the simplest question. Like, what do you do? It was like, I I don't know. I'm mostly like a a patient, I guess. I'm, you know, uh, I wasn't playing music anymore. I couldn't write. Uh, I had been writing short fiction and poetry and I just felt too raw. Uh, like everything was too, electric and just still too close. Um, so I was, I was struggling hard. I was super depressed. Uh, and Angelica, my wife is a figurative painter and she basically started encouraging me to use her leftover, like old art supplies and just kind of hanging out with her, um, as something to do. And I've, I really took a liking to it. Like one of the first times I painted, I just started painting like this pink color and I felt such a physical, uh, like transformation. It was very difficult to describe, but it was so powerful making something colorful and vibrant and, and kind of happy, uh, and I'd realized that I'd also never really made anything physical my whole life. I'd always been doing basically, you know, this abstract thought work with words mm-hmm. and music. Like uh, everything I own is a digital file or mm-hmm. just even the ether. And I realized like, oh, this is a way to express myself where there's no expectations. There's no precedent for me. There's no rules. Uh, I can't really ruin anything. And at the end of it, I have a product, something that I don't have to share with people uh, in a time-based way. Like sometimes sharing a song or a poem is like, it it can be really awkward, you know, like, Hey, right. right. Yeah. You put yourself out there. I mean, that's a piece of you. Yeah. And it takes a few minutes and the person's just sitting there and just like, uh, (laughs) Yeah, good job. Let me ask you about what you said, though, about the the painting for the first time. Because on the last episode, we had this guy, you know, uh, we had been talking, Andrew Tischler, we were talking about creativity. um, And I've been doing a lot of research into this. I think our full purpose is to create. So when we don't create, it causes internal conflict and depression and different things. Like if you're not being creative in any sort of way, I think it's you're hindering yourself as a person. Because I do think that that's. You know, you know, because look at science. 
science, you know, you can't really create science. It's there. But like, if you look at like artists or painters or musicians, or, you know, even people that do, you know, like ad work and stuff like that, they're creating. So they don't need explanations for what they're doing because they're making it themselves. You know, there's a lot of questions being asked the second that you stop doing that, you know? Yeah. I haven't really thought about it, but that makes a lot of sense. I think, I think scientists can create though. They create hypotheses. Well, yeah, but it's a different type of creativity. It's the creativity of reality, meaning that they're just taking um, creative ways to find data as opposed to creating something. Like if you're a uh, different science fields have different things, if you're a chemist, you can create something out of nothing, literally, you know, so not literally, you know, but you know what I'm saying? You take a few things together and you can create this or that or whatever, you know, there's certain sciences that's, strictly observational. So I think it just depends on what you're doing. But I just meant in the sense that if you're creating something, you don't need the reason. This is what we were talking about the last episode. You don't need a reason why to create because you're just, you're explaining it to yourself through the process of making this thing, you know? Yeah. I just thought that that, that yeah, was that, interesting. That makes sense. It kind of applied to what you were saying because you were saying that you had never experienced that feeling before you had done other art, but Sometimes, you know, if you got jarred in your accident or whatever happened, maybe some things got changed in your brain and maybe you just needed that that doorway or that little keyhole to kind of get you back into the realm, you know? Yeah, so, so this is something that I've maybe actually only shared with two or three people because uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of out there. Uh, but I had uh, a medical provider... She was basically like a, a wellness type person who pretty early into my recovery said something like, uh, she, she was basically like, you, you lost your fairy. Uh, like the, there was like some kind of spirit that had been guiding me. And I think she was right because I'd always kind of pretty effortlessly been attracted to what made sense to me. And I was able to do it. Like music with you guys was just like, mm-hmm. You know, we met and we fit. It was kind of a no-brainer. Um, and after the accident, it was like that that voice or like sense of direction was gone. And then I read this book that I'll probably paraphrase pretty poorly. It was called Big Magic. Uh, and she has a lot of cool things to say, but one of them is about ideas and creativity. And she suggests that ideas are these little fairies that are actually non, non-human beings. They're not thoughts. Uh, they are entities that are just traveling around looking for human hosts. And they're trying to find the right hosts so that they can be realized. Uh, Do you know what machine system. elves are? Do you know yeah. what the end? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, because that sounds a lot like when people talk about doing DMT (laughs) machine elves, that's exactly because that supposedly what they're doing, what people have described from videos and forums that I've read, I've never done it before, but these little entities piece different realities together to form what we know as our own reality. And there's different synchronicities and different things that are put together. But that was just, you can continue. I was just throwing that in there. Totally. Um, yeah, so I mean, basically these ideas look for, for hosts to kind of like have a good pair uh, to help each other. And she says like, so basically what happens is if for whatever reason the human uh, doesn't, isn't able to or, or chooses not to give the idea the attention that it needs, uh, then the idea basically leaves and goes and tries and finds another thing. And she suggests that this is an explanation for synchronicity um, and also for why sometimes you'll have an idea and then you'll see somebody else doing it. Um, right. And it's because the, for whatever reason, you just weren't the right person to execute that idea. And I think that in the context of creativity, that's a, a really exciting way to frame conversation because it removes a lot of the burden uh, of originality or creativity from the human and suggests that maybe a more or another way to approach it is to kind of just listen and be receptive and 
trust your intuition on what seems like a good fit for the ideas that you have. Right. And then also to execute it and to make sure that if you're passionate about an idea, that you're giving it the attention and concern that, you know, it needs to flourish. And when I read that, it, it kind of, yeah, started to, I think in tandem with the painting, awaken within me a confidence. Uh, I was at an art museum shortly after that with my dad, who likes to kind of poke fun at a lot of contemporary art and modern art, say things like, uh, you know, I could do that. Uh, you know, and I, I kind of... <laughs> Staple that yarn to a piece of paper. Is that a Jackson Pollock? Let me just spray some shit on there. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I and I kind of realized that he was right. Um, he could, I think, technically execute a lot of the paintings in that room. Um, but I also realized that he didn't, and right. he didn't try, and he didn't. I think have maybe the, the hardest part is having this kind of mixture of insanity and ego and courage to not only try it, but then share it. I mean, that, especially in the context of history, like everybody's painting landscapes or painting right. portraits of other humans. And this dude shows up and shows his friends like an eight foot painting that's just red with a single white stripe. <laughs> you know, like that's, yeah. that's fucking crazy. Well, what you're saying uh, makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've, I've come to understand, too, we're all capable of whatever we want. We just literally have to put forth the effort and kind of put ourselves in that realm that you're talking about to let things happen. But most people don't for whatever reason. You know, like I always say, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And I write it down and I try and make it happen, you know, almost like real life magic. If I write it down and I stick to this thing, I'm going to make this stuff occur. And I think that it does work like that to a certain extent, but it's a lot of things. I think it's time and place. I think it's, you know, the knowledge behind what you're doing. Uh, it's about being a professional. It's about being all that stuff. But I do think what you're saying makes sense. Your dad, if he had chosen that route at some point in his life, I have no doubt that he could have done all that stuff as could you, as could Kevin, as could me, you know, whatever. But it's, it's almost like going through life. You have to pick what you're passionate about a, or what you feel like you can thrive at and then kind of let that balloon. But, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah. So that museum visit was significant for me because I realized that like, this is something that I kind of would like to do. I'd already started painting a little bit and I realized that all that I was really missing was like having the courage um, of being vulnerable and being okay with showing people things that made me really uncomfortable, made me insecure. And painting, I think because I had never considered myself to be a painter, whereas like as a musician, there was an expectation. Everybody who knew me knew that I played piano. Right. And painting, like nobody expected anything of me. It was like if I could, you know, do the simplest thing, it was like, oh, nice job. <laughs> And so I started sharing, and that is what led me to meeting one of now my best friends. I, in my first painting exhibition, I was placed next to another artist who we got to talking. Uh, I really liked his work, and he introduced me to synthesizers. I thought that I had known what a synthesizer was before because I had, you know, these massive keyboards and workstations, right. but he showed me like basically analog synthesizers and, and then a few artists, uh, a few musicians who were making music. And at that point, I, uh, Niels Brom, Chiasmos, Rival Consoles were the first three that really opened up a whole new genre. There's like a, a kind of a subterranean music world that he exposed me to. They're all in one way or another related to erase tapes records which is a label based in london and so the painting and the books and the accident and this kind of constant awareness of my mortality and the fact that at any moment anything terrible could happen again had kind of all 
convalesced or like congealed to, I think the right moment for me to get back into music. Uh, so I started writing songs at that point. I was writing mostly like waltzes on the piano. It's just kind of silly, <laughs> silly little waltzes. And Angelica bought her first <clears throat> drum machine just so we could kind of jam and have fun. And so she started making these like dance beats and we kind of, I just adapted my, my waltzes to these dance beats and we both just started having way more fun than I think either one of us expected. And that was yeah, pretty much the birth of the band. About So she, she doesn't come from a musical background or anything. You kind of gave her the nudge into that. Yeah. So she, just like she kind of introduced me to painting, I, helped introduce her to music uh she played the trombone in middle school i think (laughs) yeah but that was it uh and now yeah now she's got a station that intimidates the hell out of me uh she's using (laughs) drum machines samplers mixers effects pedals uh it can get addicting i know i i I bought the mini log the korg mini log that thing's fucking dope yeah i love that it's a good one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what you're saying, I, I think uh, I can appreciate it too because I've gone through my own with my own anxieties and stuff. And I just quit music and sold off all my gear for like three years and then kind of realized what the fuck am I doing? I love this. So um, I can definitely appreciate. Obviously, we arrived there at different points. I had a severe panic you know, disorder. You had a severe accident. Um, different paths. But in Kevin, similar thing. Um, but I'm waiting for Kevin to come back to music because he hasn't come back to music yet. I dabble, you know. I... He's dipping his toe in here and there. I w- he's a good songwriter. I tell him, I mean, you got to get back in that pool and just, you know, throw some shit out. Well, there. I actually do enjoy it a lot more now where there's no pressure. You know, at one point I was playing, trying to make a living from it, and there's a lot of pressure on you for that. You worry about who's coming to your show and this and that. Now I can just pick the guitar up, play. I don't right. have to make fucking money off of it when there's no money. I feel like the art comes out again, and I don't know. That's my take on things. But it is good to have that in your soul and in your life. Totally. So speaking of worried about people coming to your show, you are doing this awesome thing where well, get up. when we were talking about it, I, I was like, holy shit, that's a fucking great idea. You live in the house, but you also have shows and art, like live. Is it live art going on while you're doing the music, or what's? No, it's not live art. It's uh, basically kind of curated gallery aesthetic. Uh, okay. So we live in a house that we we basically eliminated the living room and the dining room. We put the living room in a bedroom upstairs. They're useless rooms. Let's be I mean, unless you have a whole just, family or something. Yeah. So it's just the two of us and we, we'd had roommates for years, but all the roommates moved out and it was just the two of us. And it was a really large waste of space. Uh, and so Angelica suggested that we move everything out and use those as kind of additional studios. And so we were working in there for a little while and seeing it in such a minimal kind of stripped down utilitarian Vibe gave us the idea to throw some some house shows, and we had for the last couple of years started to exist in two worlds in Grand Rapids that we didn't see a lot of uh, crossover between. There wasn't a lot of cross pollination happening between the people we would see at the galleries and then the people we would see at the concerts. And we felt at home in both of those worlds and wanted to kind of help introduce everybody to each other. And we felt like we had the opportunity to do so with the layout of the house. So we decided that we would have two visual artists and two musicians, uh, musicians that were working primarily with synthesizers or keyboards, drum machines, samplers, uh, non-traditional bands, I, I suppose. Sure. And we wanted to, as best as possible, have the artwork and the music kind of have its own conversation uh, to have the work resonate. So we've done three so far, and each one has exceeded our expectations uh, from, 
I guess the professionalism and the kindness of the people involved to the turnout, uh, not even just in the numbers, but also in, in the way that people have kind of respected each other in the space. It's been, right. it's been really special. Uh, so we're excited. We have two more coming up uh, in June. It's the last Friday of each month. So one more in June, one more in July. Is it something you, you have only been doing during the summertime or? We started it in March and we aren't sure if we're going to run it during the school year. Uh, Angelica is currently, well, she's going to be finishing uh, two master's degrees this next year. She's doing a master's in painting and in visual critical studies. Uh, She was awarded a a fellowship at Kendall, the art college here. And I'm actually going to be starting a recording technology program in the fall. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. Uh, Oh, yeah. I enjoyed recording our album a lot, which was... Did you engineer it? I did. Uh, Yeah. My friend Matt kind of helped me get the ball rolling and taught me a lot of the fundamentals early on. And then I kind of just kept moving forward. What DAW program did you use? I use Ableton, but I don't use... uh, No, I mean, that's perfect for the syncing. Yeah, I mean, that's perfect for, like, the synth and the syncing up of different instruments and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I had kind of used Logic for a few years before. uh, That's what I use. I like Logic. It's just easy and simple. But what... uh, do you are your neighbors cool? Like, I mean, does it get loud and does it get rowdy? Like, your na- are your neighbors cool with it, or how, what's the atmosphere like when 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 it's going on? Yeah, our neighbors are really really cool, um, and the people coming, I think, have just made it so that there's not really an issue. I mean, everybody's, you know, it's not rowdy. Um, so there isn't Kool Aid being passed around. <laughs> yeah. Electric Kool Aid. No, there's no electric Kool Aid that I know of. Or there is. It's you know so pure that everybody's just taken before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's cool. We're done by ten. The music's really done by like nine thirty. So it, we run it kind of like a, a typical art opening. So it's from six to ten. Yeah. Um, which gives people an opportunity to kind of go continue the party elsewhere. Uh, Let's not lie. We're getting old here. You know? Yeah, yeah. It gives us an opportunity to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta take my seltzer water and pass. That, that's my idea of a good time is going to bed at midnight. And <laughs> what? Uh, what's your typical fan like? Is it a college kid that's a hipster? Is it a hippie? Is it just a business? Uh, you know, yuppie business person? Like, what's your? What would you say your typical fan is for the for this music genre? Um, we're still kind of finding that out. I mean, we're finding that it's a pretty wide range of people, uh, gotcha. which is really exciting. It's resonating. I'm a fan. Thanks, yeah, I, I liked your music a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so we're we're really encouraged. Um, we actually got an email like right before we came on that our album debuted on the national electronic charts at number thirteen. Oh wow! And it right. hit the national top charts, uh, top two hundred at one eighty five. Wow! Which, yeah, I mean, we were kind of floored by that. Um, so we're finding a lot of support on radio. We're finding a lot of support from younger and older people. I think what's really resonating with people is that we're uh, so we're using a lot of electronic music instruments. We're using predominantly synthesizers and drum machines and electric piano, but we're performing live. So people see us playing and there's a correlation between every movement we do and a sound. So it's very engaging. We also work really hard on having visual projections so that it's not kind of just looking at us, but it becomes a more immersive experience because our visuals are synced with the music. So they kind of react to the bass frequencies cool. to some of the drum rhythms. And we're finding that a lot of feedback we're getting is people who come from a, a more rock or folk background coming to the shows and saying something like, uh, you know, I, I don't really like electronic music, but I really enjoyed that. That's exactly how I felt about it. I'm like, this is a mix of like, 
Radiohead meets, uh, you know, um, I don't want to offend you. It's just like Radiohead and just like Paige McConnell and then like, you know, a couple like maybe New Deal, that kind of a thing. So it's like a mix between all of that. It's like a tasteful. You can tell that you're using like real, like even though you're doing beats and you're using, like you said, synths and stuff like that, you're doing it in a tasteful way where it's not like dubstep or hardcore tech or, you know, anything like that. Not that I think that those are bad. I just personally, I think if your music can fit into a non-conformist little slit and you can appease the multi, you know, faceted musicians or fans or whatever, I think that speaks volumes because people know good music, you know, whatever kind of band you like. I really appreciate that. No, you're definitely not in any way like insulting me with, uh, well, I mean, those are great bands, but I don't yeah. even know what you like. You know, I, no, seen, uh... I, I think, I mean, but that's what makes us, you know, maybe a little unusual is we come from a more of a rock or an indie or a jam background. So a lot of the songs have really pretty traditional songwriting structures. Uh, I mean, I remember sitting down because when we started the band, we had our friend Matt playing with us and I was maybe overly dramatic and serious, but I, I remember impressing upon them that first and foremost, we are a band. And everything that you hear, it has to be played live. I just, early on, I couldn't conceive of using a computer to compose or perform any of the material. So you don't just plug an iPhone in and hit play and then wait for that beat to drop. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, I, coming from a playing in a band background, it was just, I was like, there's no way I can't not have this be a band. Uh, and so we spent the first year just trying to figure out how to make all of this gear play nice with each other and how to talk to each other. And Angelica went through five or six different drum machines because, you know, sometimes she would hit a button and it would make some of my shit go berserk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which might be a good thing. You never know. Right? Sometimes it was inspiring, but mostly yeah. it was... <laughs> Embrace those mistakes. Annoying. Yeah. Uh, Make <laughs> do you still are you still in like would you go see like do you see fish or umfries or anything like that or are you strictly just kind of doing your own thing now and you don't really listen to music or what's what's your deal with that because i know when i was writing a lot of stuff i didn't listen to any music and now i'm kind of taking a step back from doing a lot of music stuff and i noticed i have the urge to listen you know yeah um while I was recording, especially, I was mostly listening to my music, which is a really interesting, I don't know, kind of confusing space to be in because it's like borderline, you know, narcissist, but also like borderline. I thought that too, but I don't think it is. I think it's just, just like, <laughs> well, you're on a quest. You're on a quest to yeah. make yourself sound good. So in right. the, the process, you're forced to, you know, listen to yourself. And I think, there's something therapeutic about that too, because you're confronting yourself with your creativity and it's like, I don't like this, but can I fix it? And then you fix it and you're, you know, it's for me, it's always been, I've always got to dabble, you know, but I know once you get to that sweet spot, you can kind of make mends with yourself and what your creative soul is telling you and then kind of just move on from that. But yeah, I mean, I could definitely relate to what you're saying because I did feel that for a little bit. I'm like, am I a narcissist? Why am I listening to myself so much? But you almost have to if you're producing your own stuff. Yeah, and I mean, it it can change, you know, from day to day or song to song where you're like, oh, this is really good. And then you're like, oh, this is terrible. (laughs) You know, and so finding a healthy balance was was difficult. uh, But I think I got there by the end. Um, but no, I'm really excited. I've got so many concerts this summer that I'm excited about. We saw Niels Fromm in Chicago. Nice. Recently, we saw, um, well, we'll be going to Olafur Arnold soon, uh, John Hopkins. We're going to the Pitchfork Music Festival, which has Mount Kimby, Tame Impala, Kelly Lee Owens. So I think we're still, you know, we're maybe more focused on music that's being produced by key-based instruments uh, than guitar-based, but we're not, and I think it's closed off to really any genre of authentic kind of quality emotional music. Well, I remember when you lived in uh, Grand Rapids, or not Grand Rapids, when you, East Lansing, and uh, you didn't even have a TV, it was all Elliot Smith. (laughs) 
Oh yeah. Which my roommates, my uh, roommate right now loves Elliot Smith. I've been getting into him a lot lately too. It's good Smelly. shit, man. It is. Yeah. It's, it takes a while to get into it though. You know, you gotta, it's almost like a fish or a dead type where if you hear it the first time, you're just like, ah, it's not that good. And then no, I heard it. it the fir- I heard fish the first time it blew my mind. This oh, I hated it, man. The I first thing I ever heard was I'd like to cut your head off. So I it. <laughs> what do you say? I'm just thinking to myself, holy fuck. What is this? Yeah, I heard that song too. I wanted to cut my fucking ears off, man. <laughs> man. Yeah. So that was actually for me two very different uh, experiences with, Elliot Smith, the first time I heard it, I was like, eh, I don't know. And I threw it away. Oh, well, not away, <laughs> but I, I, I put it in a pile, you know. Yeah. I didn't listen to it again for a year. And then it very slowly creeped on me until I was hooked hard. Right. That's what but I think with, the better music it does because it lasts, you know. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, at the same time, like Fish, uh, the first time I heard it was driving around with Dave and I heard dirt. And that song broke me, man. I just like, yeah. So, and I, yeah, that's still like such a heavy song for me. Well, yeah, especially now, man, it's a good, it's a good and a bad memory, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about the song you're talking about and you know, it's, it's some tough stuff, but, uh, What about what I was gonna say though is we went. Your dad actually drove us to our first fish show from oh yeah from yeah. Gross Point to Chicago at yeah. the Allstate Arena in '03. And guess who's coming back to the Allstate Arena for three nights in a row in October? Oh, nice. That's exciting. Um, yeah. But and that's actually right by my house, like fifteen oh, cool. minutes away. Um, nice. But yeah, I just thought that was funny that you know they haven't played there since, and we're talking. And I think the last, not the last time, you had come into town and visited me a few times with Devin, and I think one time with Patricus or something. But um, yeah, do you guys, do any of you remember what we ate for dinner that night? For what, what night? Oh yeah, Hoot, we went we... to Hooters. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we went to and Hooters. It was, it was very disappointing, if I do may say. So. <laughs> yeah, there were some saggy cheeks going on. <laughs> Um, <laughs> real sad vibe um but uh yeah i mean i think uh this house thing that you're doing is just a great idea i think if you have the means to to pull it off and you can you can build a little community you know because i think one of the things that with music and musicians and scheduling gigs and all that stuff is you know you might play a couple gigs and then you know you might try and play other places and it takes a month or two or whatever you literally have the ability to play a show at any point if you want to continue whatever momentum from a show or you know whatever in in those regards so i think that's a huge benefit and also i think that there's a, a level of trust built with your fans it sounds like from doing this kind of a thing and letting somebody into your world like that you know yeah, totally. It makes it intimate. It makes it, you know, it makes it kind of vulnerable. I mean, just we're, we tend to be very private people, Angelica and I, and being in the band has forced us to relinquish some of that privacy and some of that control. And although every single, you know, bit has been incredibly difficult and uncomfortable for us to do, it's been maybe even more so rewarding uh, because of, people we're meeting, the connections we're making, the the community that we're becoming a part of. Um, our house shows group has like maybe maybe more people than I'm like actually comfortable with because we definitely can't fit that many people in the house. You know, so right, right. Showed up put them once. on the lawn. That's a good problem though. If you get to the point where you can't fit people, you know you're doing something right. You know, maybe you get a bigger fucking house. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. So we're, uh, we're, yeah, we feel really grateful that we're kind of starting to, to hit our stride and be a part of the community. We've felt like we've kind of been on our own island for such a long time. And you guys got a Facebook page and a YouTube page and stuff? We don't have YouTube yet. Here, I got, uh, I've got all, I'm going to pull this stuff up right now here. Hold on a second. I got all of his links ready to go. For... That's what I was saying. Plug. I, I, I wasn't even aware of these house shows. I was, th- I was thinking you could plug maybe your, uh, your CD release coming up in the next few months or whatever event you got coming up here. Yeah. So at the end of each month this summer, we have a pretty, pretty cool event. Uh, at the end of June, we have a house show featuring Jess Kramer and Cloudlight as 
musicians. Here you go. We got pinkskymusic.com, ryanhay.com, angelicahay.com. And then here's a little bio. I'm going to leave this up here. We can continue talking. But uh, so what were you saying? Sorry to cut you off. Oh, you're fine. Uh, yeah. So at the end of June, we have a house show. At the end of July, we have a house show. And then we're taking August off so that we can have our release show at the Pyramid Scheme, which is a really awesome local venue. It sounds cool. What's it like there? Oh man, it's it's super cool. So it's kind of like two two places in one space. Uh, the front is a really cool bar that serves Michigan beer. I think they're in some way maybe affiliated with, or they they serve a lot of Schwartz beer, and they have a lot of pinball machines. And then in the back, it's like a medium sized club venue, and really just yeah, so it's like. Dazed and confused, the place where they hang out is what you're saying, but like a venue. Yeah. The Emporium? The Emporium. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know, actually. No, I'm just, I'm just joking around. But no, it sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, I'm going to try and make it out to that. Cool. Yeah, you guys should come. It's going to be a good time. We've got three other acts that we're playing with that we're, we're super excited about because these guys kind of embody the same spirit as us, which is that they play... Uh, significant portions of the material, their electronic material live. Uh, one of the guys has a drum kit uh, that he plays live with. He's orchestrating uh, an Ableton interface and it's incredible. And the other guys are playing keys and doing kind of some really cool looping live drums. And uh, it's a great venue. They are really supportive of local artists and Grand Rapids. All right. Ryan, hey, you got your new album coming out. It's called Forms. Um, what's Actually, the... I, had one, I had one more question. So you, you were yeah. talking about that first painting that you made, uh, and you were using yeah. the uh, pink color. Is that kind of where you got your band name from, or does that have nothing to do with it? Um, I guess maybe indirectly. So what ended up happening is I started making some of some of these colors that that Angelica started using those colors. And then I started stealing some of Angelica's elements. And we started basically a conversation with our paintings uh, that culminated in Angelica doing this massive, like four foot by four foot figurative painting that has a really kind of brilliant pink sky. And when we were trying to figure out the band name, it was literally just sitting like right in front of us. And yeah. we kind of, yeah, just all locked into it. That uh, kind of really stuff quick. usually is just right out in the front. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were, yeah, we were racking our brains for like a week and all the while this, you know, painting is just sitting right there. Like, <laughs> staring us. into it. Trying yeah. to think of a name. Yeah. Call it bristles. <laughs> My pinky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had jokes, so I had a bone in my uh, wrist that in the accident for a while they thought that it had died, which I didn't know was something that could even happen. Yeah. Uh, but basically, if the bone doesn't get blood flow, it can die. And so we had thought that I had this dead bone in my wrist. And I dead remember bone. yeah, wishing at the time that I was in like some kind of hardcore metal band. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's just so many plays that would be amazing with a, a dead bone in your wrist. <laughs> I mean, you could create a song I, I, or my lost pinky or something. Like you almost lost your pinky. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I like yeah. dead bone. I'm stealing dead that. Dead bone. That's, dead yeah. That's, bone. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't refer to the arm bone. If you you've heard a red bone, you've heard a yellow bone. This Kevin brings you dead bone. <laughs> I don't get many ladies with the name though. It's hard. <laughs> Um, but, uh, all right. Well, thanks dude for coming on. We're going to plug your stuff here real quick. We got your album coming out, uh, August 24th forms. Uh, you released your single, uh, you should check them out on Bandcamp. Uh, you got www.pinkskymusic.com. You got www.ryanhay.com. You got www.angelicahay.com and, uh, check them out. They're awesome. I listened to it. It's, it's some, some good stuff. If you like piano and synths and all that kind of stuff, I think it's really well done. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited, uh, for the release and we'll try and make it out to, uh, one of your shows here for sure. Um, is there anything else you want to say or. 
No, just thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully thanks for we coming. Get, yeah, hopefully we can get an East Side show soon and, and see you guys. It'd be good to catch up. Awesome. Nice, man. Cheers. Yeah, Cheers. thanks. Well, thank you for coming on. And uh, for all of you that haven't checked out our new website, too, we got uh, Mike and Maurice, mindescape.com kick in. So check that out as well. And uh, thank you again, Ryan. We'll check you next time. Cool. See you guys. Peace. Peace.